Hey, good morning. Welcome to Jacksonville Press. If you would remain standing for the reading of God's Word, we're going to be opening up to page 940 in those blue hardback Bibles. So if you uh, have your Bible, I'd love for you to open up to the minor prophet of Zephaniah. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. Just grab one of those blue hardback Bibles, uh, turn to page 940. Uh, thank you, Pastor Larry, for leading us in that beautiful prayer, and uh, we're looking forward to calling you as Pastor Emeritus in January, and that's pretty exciting. Uh, as many of you know, in just a few minutes, uh, I'm going to be leaving after this service and going to the historic church for our 1030 service, so uh, that'll be very neat. I've never been to the historic church for a worship service on a Sunday morning before, uh, so this will be a new one for me. Uh, and thank you for helping after this service uh, get ready for um, the Harvest Carnival tonight. So turn to page 940. Uh, we're into the book of Zephaniah. We only have a few uh, uh, minor prophets left in this series before we get into Advent season. I can't believe tomorrow is going to be November. Uh, but with that, we're going to be looking at the whole book of Zephaniah, but we're really going to focus in on verses 14 through 17. So with that in mind, friend, hear the word of the Lord to us out of the book of Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel, rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you be seated and keep that Bible open as we pray? Father, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would illuminate our eyes and our ears to hear your thundering voice singing. Father, would you send your son quickly that we may see him face to face. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What do you think you need right now? Have you ever, you know, you know sometimes we have a hard time knowing what we personally need. What do you think you need right now? Uh, well, a few days ago, I went to my lovely wife and I told her what I needed. And you know what it was? I was like, I need shepherd's pie. Anybody ever had shepherd's pie? If you're having a bad day, if you've been having a bad season of life right now, the, a shepherd's pie covers a multitude of sins, okay? It is like life-changing, right? Does anyone know what shepherd's pie is? It's like hamburger meat plus what else? What else does shepherd's pie? I don't even know. Onions? Oh my gosh, y'all knew that. That's so awesome. I'm so happy y'all know. Um, every, if you all say it out loud, I'll, I'll get it, right? So there's peas, and there are onions, and there's ground beef, maybe lamb, there's carrots. And then on top of it, what is it? God's grace in physical form. If you don't believe that mashed potatoes are just a tiny bit sacramental, I don't know if there's much hope for you. I mean, like, if you, you know how, um, was it Benjamin Franklin who once said that beer is proof that God wants people to be happy? I don't know if I buy that, but I believe mashed potatoes are proof that God wants people to be comforted in this life, right? So anyway, so this past week, I just was, you know, I said, you know, you know, babe, I just like, we need like comfort food right now. It's like rainy, you know, people feel exhausted. It's a tiring time of life. And uh, my lovely wife made the shepherd's pie. And you know what? It was like, 
exactly what we needed. There was no shepherd's pie left when we were done. And then after we were done, you know, Caroline, you know, saw all the food gone. You know what she said? She goes, pretty soon we're going to have to make two of these things because we keep on having kids. And she was absolutely right. So um, I guess what I'm trying to say is this past week for me, um, I was reminded that something like shepherd's pie was the exact thing that I needed on that rainy day. And the book of Proverbs says, uh, one of my favorite Proverbs, that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver, right? A word at just the right time is exactly what we need. Like shepherd's pie on the exact day is exactly what my stomach needed, right? So with that, I'm willing to bet that some of you are feeling a little unsettled in life. Uh, anybody here just exhausted? Anybody here emotionally or physically exhausted? You can raise your hand. Anybody here feel in a state of exhaustion? You know, people have been stepping down from their jobs. People are losing their jobs. People are tired of their jobs. People are changing their jobs. Uh, we're unsure of our next step. Uh, anybody feel really confident what next summer is going to look like in your life? Well, if that's where you are, is it possible that there is a word fitly spoken for you today? <laughs> that the Lord could set a table for you, and it would be just right. Well, I would suggest to you that what you and I need this morning out of the book of Zephaniah, out of God's grace, is uh, an extended, this is, this is how I think of it. Friends, what you and I need, and if I'm going to try to attempt to cook in front of you, is an extended reflection on God's love for you. That's what you need right now. You know, that's the comfort food that your soul is craving, an extended reflection, not on God's love for, you know, people, but for you as an individual. Um, I don't know why, but it seems like part and parcel of being human, it's easy to believe that God loves people or God loves our children or our grandchildren, but it's really hard to believe that God loves me or that God loves you, singular. And so, friends, what I want you to do this morning is I want you to have an extended reflection on God's love for you. And I want to remind you that as we go through the whole Old Testament, right, we know God's love profoundly because we stand on the other side of the New Testament. We have both the Old and the New. And what the New Testament declares to you, I declare to you today. And this is how God's love is revealed to us. You know, 1 John Chapter 4 says these words, and this is part of that extended reflection that I want you to just um, soak in, if you will. Uh, you know, you can close your eyes while I read these words if that would help you focus on them. But 1 John chapter 4, 9 through 10 says this, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Uh, friends, this is the message of the whole Bible. It was to be a revelation of God's great love in the person of Jesus Christ for his beloved people. And I know many of you know this already, but, you know, to me, this is the message uh, that I am meant to proclaim every Sunday. You know, eventually you're going to figure out I only have one message, and it's the message of Jesus. Uh, but I can't help it because, you know, on the back of the podium, you know what it says? Who remembers? It's John 12, 21. 
Can you read that? It says, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And the reason we had people carve that in there is because this is the theme of the song of eternity. (laughs) We want to see Jesus and to rejoice in him. And so when we gather together to look at his word, to sing praises to his name, uh, friends, this is the great cry of our heart, is to see Jesus. And not just to see him, but to hear him. And what I want to suggest to you, and what I've been trying to suggest to you for months now, is that this message, this gospel of God's love for us through Jesus Christ, is something that the whole Bible is building towards and revealing that quite literally we can see the gospel according to Zephaniah. That Zephaniah was looking forward to the day that God would redeem a people from every nation, language, and tribe. That he would change all of their languages to a pure speech so that they could call upon the name of the God of Israel and be saved. And so that he could rejoice over them and sing over you for all of eternity. Friends, this is the message And it's found even in places like Zephaniah. Anyone ever even read Zephaniah? Raise your hand if you've read Zephaniah. We will give you five Dustin Bucks. You have five Dustin Bucks. And they are worth exactly five Richard Nichols. It's a cryptocurrency, so I can't tell you what that means in dollars. It moves constantly. But you you get some credit from me. It's not really worth anything, but it's there. But this is the message of the whole Bible. You know, St. Augustine, you know, famously said in the Old Testament, the New Testament is concealed, right? The Old Testament conceals what's going on, but the New Testament reveals the Old Testament. And that's even true in Zephaniah. So if you look down with me, how do we get this message of Zephaniah? How do we see this as believers, as people redeemed by the blood of Jesus? Uh, Well, Zephaniah is a short book. It's only three chapters in your Bible, and many of you probably never read it. If you read it, some of you may not have understood what you were reading. Uh, So I want to suggest that we can actually understand Zephaniah best by looking at three things. So we're going to look at the prophet, the song, and the city. All right, so if you want an outline, if you like to take notes, that's my uh, general outline. We're going to look at the prophet, the song, and the city. So who is this prophet? Well, look down at Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, Like many of the prophets, Zephaniah tells us who he is. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Now, um, the important thing is not to know how to pronounce all of those names. The important thing is to have a basic idea of what Zephaniah is telling us. Now, Zephaniah gives us more of a background, more of his genealogy than any other prophet. So that should strike us as a little interesting. Why does, uh, you know, Zephaniah feel so, it's so important to tell us who his great-great-great-grandfather was? Well, you may remember that there was a great king in Israel named King Hezekiah. And this is quite likely the reason why Zephaniah tells us who his ancestors are is because he wants you and I to know that he comes from the royal family. He comes from the line of Hezekiah. And also, he tells us when he was speaking and when he lived. He lived during the days of Hezekiah's grandson, a guy named Josiah. Do you see that right there? He says he's prophesying in the days of Josiah, the king of Judah. So, uh, you know, that begs the question, you know, why is this important? Well, um, you know, 
if you can hearken back to the story of the Bible, I think the story of Josiah is profoundly important for you and I, and it's especially fitting for today, which is Reformation Sunday. I don't know if you know this already, but October 31st is typically the day we celebrate Martin Luther nailing the 95 Reeses to the Wittenberg door. Sorry, no, sorry, the 95 Theses. Sorry, I'm getting excited about candy. That was a pun. Oh, go eat a diet of worms, you guys. Those are Reformation jokes, if you don't know them. They're not, but they're not funny, but you do know that. I know that. Uh, actually, it was 500 years ago, uh, 1521, that the Diet of Worms happened when Luther famously said, you know, unless reason or God's word changes me, here I stand, I can do no other, right? That was 500 years ago. So it's fitting that we maybe pause and look at the story of King Josiah. Now, why would I suggest that? Well, you know, this is happening during Zephaniah's day, but if you flip over in your Bible to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 22, if you've got that blue hardback Bible, it's page 387 and following. So to understand Zephaniah, who this prophet is, you've got to have a basic idea of the story. So if you read the Old Testament, you'll find out that even uh, the nation of Judah was diving into wretched sin. And what we find out of 2 Kings chapter 23 is during Zephaniah's life, the people were filling the temple of the Lord with false idols to Baal and Chemosh and to the host of heaven. So they fill God's holy place with all of these idols to false gods. That's in 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 5 through 7. And then also we find out, according to 2 Kings chapter 23, is there were also male prostitutes inside the temple that lived right outside of the temple. That's 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 7. And then we also find out in 2 Kings 23, verse 10, that the people were also practicing child sacrifice, and they were offering up their sons and daughters as offerings to Molech, one of the false gods of the people. And then if you follow down in verse 13, we also find out that King Solomon, wise King Solomon, had himself built idols to the Ashtoreth, to the abomination of the Sidonians, to Chemosh, and to Milcom, all of these false gods. But, you know, what's fascinating about this is this is the world that Josiah enters into. Uh, he's only eight years old when he becomes king, and the country is steeped in false idolatry, child sacrifice, and um, unbiblical sexual rules, if you could imagine that. And what's fascinating about Josiah is Josiah somehow, probably because he was prophesied about hundreds of years before, Josiah somehow comes to faith in the God of the Bible and to the God of Israel. And so famously, the, the most famous story of King Josiah, what makes him so great, uh, greater than any king before or after him, is actually what 2 Kings says about him. What makes Josiah such a great king is he decides that he is going to rebuild the temple. The nation, the people, they have all devolved into idolatry. They're all breaking God's law. And so what he says is we're going to rebuild the temple. We're going to restore it to its former glory. Uh, this is around 600 B.C. or so. And so Josiah turns to his secretary and he says, Go ask the priest how much silver and gold there is in the temple. Do you know this story? And so Hilkiah the priest says, oh, the king wants to rebuild the temple. And he comes back to the king, the priest does, and he doesn't bring the silver and the gold to the king, although he does count it. 
But he looks at the king, and you know what he says? We found a book, and it's the book of the covenant. You would know it as the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. And King Josiah had never read it in his life. And so what happens is the high priest says, you want to rebuild the temple. You don't rebuild the temple with silver and gold. You know how you rebuild a temple? King, you need to read this. And King Josiah reads it. You know what King Josiah does? He tears his clothes. And he says, this is why the nation is so off. We are not holding to the covenant that God made with Israel. And know what he does? He calls together, this is 2 Kings chapter 23, flip there. He calls all the people together. This is verse 2 of chapter 23. And King Josiah went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests, and the prophets, including Zephaniah. And all the people, both great and small, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people joined in the covenant." You see, friends, what King Josiah does is he brings spiritual renewal to the people of Israel. But you know what he does? Did you catch that? Who does he invite to listen to the words of God's word? Does he just invite the priests? Does he just invite the elders? The influencers? Who does he invite? He invites the prophets. He invites the priests. He invites the leaders of Jerusalem. And he invites all of the people, both great and small. And then he makes them listen to the public reading of God's word. Could you imagine having to go to a meeting where someone read the whole Torah to you? Wouldn't it be amazing? Well, I think it'd be amazing. And you see, it's around the word of God in the Torah that Josiah reforms the country. And so if you read chapter 23, this is where he puts an end to child sacrifice. This is where he puts an end to the prostitution, the end to the false worship. And then that's where 2 Kings tells us in verse 25 that before Josiah, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to, to all that the law of Moses had said, nor did any other king arise after him like him. You know, the sad thing about King Josiah, though, is in just a few verses later, what we find is he goes out to battle and he's dead. And he's killed at the age of 39. And then within a few decades, the people are taken over by Babylon and led to exile. So knowing that little bit of the story, let's flip back to Zephaniah. I'm so proud that y'all can hang with me in these sermons. I, like every other pastor in the country, they'd be jealous for a congregation that can handle this level of Bible teaching. The reason I mention that is because Zephaniah is speaking during these days. And if you look down at Zephaniah, speaking during the, the days of this renewal, Zephaniah, one of those prophets that heard Josiah do this, had been telling the king this very thing, that God is going to come and he's going to remove us. There's a coming judgment. The day of the Lord is going to happen on Israel, and he's going to exile us to Babylon. 
But then, you know, that's basically Zephaniah chapter 1. The Babylonians are going to come. And then in chapter 2, God does promise, though, that for those who seek the Lord, uh, God may hide them and protect them. That's verse Zephaniah 2, 3. Seek the Lord, all you humble in the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. And then, of course, he ends with this beautiful picture of God restoring the people to the land of Israel and then God changing all of the people's languages to a pure speech and then God rejoicing over his city, Zion. So what are we supposed to to do with this? Well, if that's understanding the story of Zephaniah, there's a couple of things that I I want us to focus on. Uh, Number one, Josiah, the king, he took the warnings of Zephaniah seriously. Right? He took the heedings of the warnings. Zephaniah warned, he said, God is going to remove us from Babylon, or remove us and send us to Babylon. And you know what King Josiah did? He heeded the warning, and he brought the people into repentance. Uh, friends, I don't know if anyone's ever called you to have faith in Jesus and to follow him, but that always begins with a call to repent, to turn from sin, to literally physically stop sinning, right, to repent and turn towards Jesus, right? There is no salvation without repentance. Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance is just turning away from sin to Christ. It doesn't save us, but repentance is like the empty hands that receives God's forgiveness, right? We have to turn away. So I don't know if that's happened to you or not, but I would tell you that King Josiah definitely heard the prophecies of Zephaniah, and he thought, maybe I can uh, save the people. Now, the hard part, of course, of the story of King Josiah is what happens to him? When he's 39, what happens to King Josiah? As great as he is, what happens to him? He's killed. And then guess what? In just a few years, the people end up being exiled. So, how is this encouraging? How is this encouraging? Well, I think when you look at Zephaniah, you think about his relationship to the king. Uh, I think it reminds us of the need for spiritual accountability. Uh, I know many of us are exhausted, but this is the blessing of Christian friendship. This is the blessing of knowing other people who love Jesus, is they can say, like Zephaniah, hey, repent. They can exhort us. But, friends, if you don't know this already, uh, let me explain it to you like this. Our hope, our hope in the unsettling times of our life are never in mere mortals alone. It does not matter how great Josiah is. You want to know why? Because humans have a pesky tradition of dying and letting us down. You see, Josiah, as great as he was, was always pointing towards a greater king who would never die and never let us down. Our hope is not in people. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, the ultimate son of David, the ultimate son of Josiah, who reigns forever. And, of course, this is what Zephaniah shifts the attention to, right? Yes, it's a sad story about Josiah, but... It's a great story because the hope is not in Josiah. The hope is that God is going to do something to redeem his people. I mean, friends, how much of our hope right now is tied into the right leaders or the right people? 
Is that what you're hoping for? The right policies. Friends, they're going to let you down. Something bigger has to be the ground for your hope. And you know what that is? I think it's in Zephaniah chapter 3. So if you flip over to Zephaniah chapter 3, look at verses 14 through 17. Now, Zephaniah gives us, I think, a picture uh, for us to, uh, to be captivated by. And Zephaniah's great hope is not that Josiah lives forever. It's that God is going to have to intervene in our lives to do something that we never could. Now, look at Zephaniah chapter 3. Uh, verse 14, it says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Right? So Zephaniah is telling God's people to rejoice and praise God. Rejoice and exult with all of your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Because, and he's speaking in the future, you know, one day the Lord will take away the judgments. He's cleared away our enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. So basically what Zephaniah is saying, he's saying, Don't fear, God is going to deliver us. And of course, that's what God does in the Old Testament. He brings the people back from Babylon, and they restore the temple, and they restore the nation. And so, yes, there is a sense that this was fulfilled eventually in the Old Testament. But the amazing, th the amazing thing, the, the uniqueness of Zephaniah, and why I think it's such an extended reflection on God's love, is actually in the second half of verse 17. Did you notice that the, that the pronouns and the focus of the sentences change? Verses 14 and 15, we are praising God, right? We rejoice. But then in verse 17, what happens in response to that? He will rejoice over you. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Friends, the great hope that Zephaniah saw, um, the clouds broke through and the beatific vision, the, the beauty of God broke through, not just when God's people were praising him, but in this incredible, glorious picture of God singing out of pure joy over his people. Friends, have you ever possibly imagined the God of all creation, the God who made the galaxy, singing and rejoicing over you. I mean, it's such an incredible picture. Uh, there's nothing like this. Uh, you know, in The Pleasures of God by John Piper, uh, Pastor John Piper talks about this passage, and he says, you know, imagine what it would be like. Um, you know, use your imagination, your divine imagination if you can, and uh, try to just imagine what it would be like to hear God loud singing <laughs> over you. He said it would be like the roar of Niagara Falls or the blast from Mount St. Helens. Imagine the God of all creation echoing and deafeningly loud singing because he rejoices over his redeemed people. You see, friends, uh, this is what it means to start to capture a vision of the beauty of God, is to see him in all of his glory rejoicing over you. You know, uh, there's, a, there's such a thing as an antiphonal choir. You know what an antiphonal choir is? Anyone here a choir person? You can raise, you're, if you're a choir person, raise your hand. Okay, sign up for the Christmas choir. Thank you. <laughs> you know what an antiphonal choir is? What's an antiphonal choir? Every Sunday, I dream of having an antiphonal sermon with you where I say something, and then you guys respond, and then I say something, and then you guys respond. 
right? An antiphonal choir is when one choir sings and then the other half of the choir responds. And then one choir sings a part and the other choir sings one part. And friends, there is this vision that Zephaniah gives you and me that that's what heaven is going to be like on some level. We are going to be rejoicing and exalting as the citizens of Zion, giving praise and glory to God, throwing our crowns at his feet. And the amazing thing is the deafening voice, the loud roar of the God of creation joins in the song and rejoices over his beloved. Friends, has it ever gripped you in extended reflection on God's loud voice over you? Friends, take a moment, close your eyes if you're comfortable with that. Try to wrap your mind around God's love for you. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be hasn't yet been revealed. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a good person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Friends, this is the theme of the song. He loves us his people. Do you heed the warnings of the prophets? Do you turn from sin? Do you repent and confess Christ as Lord? Are you reforming your whole life around the word of God or are you asleep? Are you able with the eyes of faith to see the God who loves you? And do you have, you know, do you have the ears of faith to hear him singing over you. You know how you know it? <laughs> if you do, you'll realize that life isn't about us. It's about falling down and worshiping him alone. Friends, it's the prophet, it's the song, the song of God over the city of God. 
Let me just finish. If you look at Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah looks forward to the day in verses 9 and 10 that one day, because of God's great love for this world, that the peoples, the nations, would have a pure speech, that all who call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And what we find out is after Jesus dies on the cross for the sins of his people and is raised to life by the power of the Holy Spirit, a few days later on Pentecost, what happens? God gathers his people from the ends of the earth and they all speak different languages and the apostles declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. But they hear it as what? In their language. And the apostles declare all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is God's great global vision of salvation. And yes, in the Old Testament, God does redeem and bring his people Jerusalem back. But that redemption of Jerusalem that we'll talk about next week in Haggai is really a foreshadowing. It is a foretaste of God redeeming Zion, the great city of God, made up of people from every nation, language, and tongue, so that if you confess faith in Jesus, you for eternity are a citizen of Zion, the city of God. Friends, I don't, I don't know what you need right now, but that's an invitation to stop and to reflect on the incredible love for you, his people, the citizens of Zion. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would take my meager words and, Lord, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your great love with which you loved us. Father, you know that we are exhausted and we are discouraged. Father, may we not put our hope in anything but Christ alone who lives in us and through us. And Lord Jesus, would you come again that we may see the city that we are seeking. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.